Hello, this is Discover, and we take customer service very seriously. We know that if you have a question or concern about your credit card, that's a serious matter, and you need to talk to a real person about it. So we offer around-the-clock access to seriously talented representatives in the USA. Again, it's a serious endeavor. The only funny thing about it is Bob. If you call us and Bob answers, you're in for a treat. Get 100% U.S.-based customer service and talk to a real person day or night. Discover exceptionally common sense. Hear that? Is that America cheering or a sausage patty sizzling to perfection? It's time to cheer for Egg McMuffin and fresh cracked eggs at McDonald's. It's time to wake up to the aroma of freshly baked biscuits and treat yourself to a real honest-to-goodness morning meal. Breakfast, it's on at McDonald's. Now get any breakfast sandwich for just two bucks. Available only through the app. Mobile order and pay available at participating McDonald's. McD app download and registration required. Today on the Zabecast, what do you do with 500 teeth in your mouth? <laughs> Buy a lot of dental floss. Budding! Andy Poland joins me. We talk Hall of Fame weekend, how the NFL keeps stretching the taffy, and how they overhype everything. We also talk Trent Williams' holdout, the new P.I. rules, and the Tarantino flick once upon a time in Hollywood. Your bonus, 40 minutes of me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go. Oh, here we go. Monday, August 5th, 2019. Thank you for downloading. It is great to be back home. I have a new stand-up desk that I think I really, really like. Let's see if this will actually work if I do this right now. Hold on a second. All right, I'm going to put the microphone there. I'm going to go gently over here. Let's make sure that no cables are not set up. Okay, come on, baby. Come on, you got it. Up you go. Up, up, up. Oh, there there it is. <laughs> I am standing right now. I need to send out a picture of this. Uh, I also have a wobble board, which Drew Olson at 97.3 The Game in Milwaukee turned me on to. So you can stand. You can move around. Help you from sitting down. They say sitting's the new smoking. It's not good for you. So there you go. I do need to buy another microphone stand. Okay. There it is. Oh, I love it. It's so, it's pretty cool. This could change my life. Or I could come to hate it in due time. Who knows? All right. Before we get into sports with Andy Poland, this story grabs your attention when you see it. Seven-year-old boy found with 526 teeth crammed inside his mouth. <laughs> A seven-year-old boy uh, in Chennai, India, was operated on after having a swollen and aching jaw. Doctors, when they got in there, found 526 teeth, which was in a well-defined bag-like mass. So in other words, it was like a bag of teeth that were in his mouth, like a bag of spare teeth in his mouth. When I first saw the story, I said, well, how do you get all those in a row? And were they lined up? Did he have five rows of teeth? More than five rows. How many teeth do we have? Let me count one. <laughs> uh, what, like 22 or something like that? Depending on if you have extra teeth, incisors, molars, bicuspids, you name it. Do you still have your wisdom teeth? 
Some we were talking about. Some, I forget who I was talking to. That said wisdom teeth having those removed, scam. Like unless it's really bothering you, it's a racket. Some say. I don't know. I'm 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 not an oral surgeon. I'm not a dentist, but whatever. So the seven year old boy uh, had this bag of teeth removed. And doctors made sure to count them all because it was such a medical miracle. The team took five hours to meticulously search through and count all of them. One doctor said it was reminiscent of pearls in an oyster. The bag of teeth weighed seven ounces, contained hundreds of the little things. They said that the teeth actually were teeth. They had uh, a crown and had enamel with a root-like structure. So they counted as teeth. And they ranged in size from one millimeter to five uh, to 15 millimeters. And I'm looking at a photo here of the teeth arranged in a circle, in a spiral, being administered to with tweezers. It looks like almost like grains of sand, essentially. The procedure did not require jaw reconstruction. Surgeons have said the lesion, known as a compound odontoma, could be attributed to genetic or environmental factors. The kid just had an extra bag of teeth stored in his mouth. The body is weird sometimes like that. I know my my nephew, Luke, had a uh, benign cyst or tumor, not a tumor, a benign cyst, I think, that I forget what they called it. It was uh, growing in his belly or was in his belly when he was a small child. It was uh, quite the crisis and quite the drama, not understandably so. Thank God it was nothing more than just a, an extra pile of genetic stuff that had not been properly doled out uh, when the body was doing its thing. But in this cyst, there was like a couple of teeth <laughs> because the body's sort of genetic code or instruction said, make teeth. And they made teeth in his stomach where he didn't need them because something had gone haywire. 526 teeth. You know what they have to do? They have to do. And I know they're tiny, but there's a way you could probably do it. You got to make a necklace. You got to make a necklace out of that. That kid deserves the 526 tooth necklace so he can wear it around and say, see, this is in my mouth. There you go. All right, what better way to start our Monday off than by talking to our man, Andrew Pollan, who's got a new gig. Hello, Andy. Welcome back Good to morning. being welcome back to being regularly employed. Hope, yeah. Hope your lovely wife Arlene is packing you a nice lunch bag and a little <laughs> note inside it and a sandwich with the crust cut off. No? Yes? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Nah. You've been married a long time. So I know. <laughs> anyway, we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about Andy's new gig at a competing station. In town. Uh, The old radio uh, notion is don't acknowledge the competition. I look at it this way, Andy. It's all competition. Every station, every podcast, every music service, satellite, you name it. The itchiness of one's right index finger in the car, that's my competition. 
So yeah, oh, so many options. I mean, you know, it used to be there were four or five stations in town, and then you're too young to remember this, but then came the revolution of FM. And so that added to the number of stations. But again, if you wanted to listen to something in your car, that was it. Now, maybe you could pop in an eight-track tape or a cassette. But if you wanted to hear live talk or live DJ playing music, you had to listen on the actual radio. All right. More on that in a bit. And also, uh, just a real gut punch to an otherwise awful weekend in America with Don Banks passing away, a longtime NFL writer, a friend of ours, and one of the good guys in the biz. We'll talk more about that at the end. Let's start with the Hall of Fame weekend in the NFL. How much of this did you watch? I am not trying to humble brag or weird flex, as the kids say now, but I watched none of it because I can't stomach now any of it. What about you? (laughs) You're talking about the game or just the ceremony? Both. Okay. Both. I watched, I watched the none of both. Yeah, I, I watched some of the game. I was interested to see the challenge on the pass interference play, which wasn't overturned, though it looked like there was interference, and they said on TV it looked like interference. Uh, as far as the, the ceremony goes, you know, I, I went when Joe Gibbs got in in 1996 and they had it on the steps of the Hall of Fame on Saturday morning. They played the game in the afternoon, and that was it. Circus left town. Now it's stretched out over, what, three days with the game Thursday night and uh, the ceremonies on Saturday. They also used to limit the time on how long these guys could talk. Now they go 20, 25 minutes. It's, it's just too long. They, they, need to, they need to get their arms around it. And I, I think you're aware of this, for next year, they're going to supposedly put in 20 people. Oh. Well, you, you, you can't have, you know, 20-minute speeches. Why are they doing that? For 2020. Get it? <laughs> so, in other words, they have been marching along to a pretty stringent, uh, shall we call it a, a stringent funnel that you have to pass through as an ex-NFL right. player. A gauntlet of sorts, a gauntlet of stupidity and sports writers with insane biases. And you know my rant on that whole process as well. Mm-hmm. You have to, for years, they've made you go through that funnel. And now for one year, it's Ali Ali oxen free. We want 20 because it rhymes with 20. Yeah, well, well there's a backlog. There, there are a number of guys who should be in and have slipped through the cracks. So what, what they've done with Joe Jacoby has just been criminal. And it looks like he'll finally get in next year. But, yeah, uh, that, that'll clean up some of the backlog. But I, I think they ought to put in 10 to 15 guys every year and put a strict limit on the speech to five minutes. You don't have to thank your peewee coach. It's okay. You know, you, you, can, you can just talk about a couple of career highlights, talk about your family, talk about how happy you are to go in. Boom, goodbye. There's your bust. Have a nice day. I, I totally agree. We're here for a good time, not a long time. And 26 yeah. minutes. How long did Ed Reed's speech go? Uh, I didn't stay up for that, but I, I, I remember Emmett Smith. I would think I was there that year. That was 2010, if I'm not mistaken. And I think he went like 32 minutes. And it's, it's just enough already. Yeah, no, but nobody cares. And, and not that long. And what gets lost is, okay, so what are the highlights of your 32-minute speech? Nobody has the time to dig them out. It should be, I would say, and this is very arbitrary, eight minutes. Eight minutes is less than 10, 
more than three and a half. The hit record is three minutes and change. Right. Anything right. more than 10 minutes, people are looking at their watches going, okay, wrap it up now. The other thing that yeah. I just don't care for, I don't want to hear these guys' political views, their socioeconomic views. I don't want to be lectured or harangued. Talk about football, your family, and the games you played in. Give us a goddamn good story from when you played for for crying out loud and get off the stage. Okay, end of rant. Yeah. That's pretty much I where I stand on that. So I also – and so I didn't watch the game on Thursday. I was at the beach with the family, and I was just laying about. I didn't care. But I did see on Twitter the pass interference challenge, the first one mm-hmm. in pro football history, and I just shook my head and said, Lord, help me through this season. It is going to be a rough one. How do you think yeah. this new rule is going to play out in reality? Well, I, I don't think it's going to be that bad. I, I remember last you year. You don't. About the, no. Remember the, the, the head targeting call that was supposed to ruin the game yeah. and was called frequently in the preseason and maybe called like twice during the regular season? I, I think it'll it'll sort itself out, and I think that only the egregious ones will they be. Because, again, it, it's, it's a regular challenge. So you're not going to just willy-nilly throw the flag for every time you think there's pass interference, it's got to be pretty egregious for you to want to, you know, see if you can get it overturned. The point of this new rule was that there'd be no egregious pass interference calls that tip the outcome of a game, right? Right, right. I will guarantee one thing this year. Ready? There yep. will be an egregious pass interference call and or reversal that will, wait for it, tip the outcome of a game and people will call my radio shows and be outraged. That is the okay. one thing I can guarantee, Andy, with 1,000% certitude. Right, but the, the, the chance of it happening in the NFC Championship game the way it happened last year is very, very small. I mean, well, at least you have that backstop now that you did not have last year. But controversy is in the eye of the beholder. Right. And so, in other words, because we're going to microscope every big P.I. call, there's going to be perennial disagreement, endless disagreement over what is or is not, especially once we put that Petri dish under the microscope. Yeah, yes, but what happened in the NFC Championship game is not a debatable call. True. That was a completely blown call. There's no there's no gray area there. That's that's a blown call by the referee. Right. But there's going to be a 50-50 call that gets overturned in one game and a 50-50 call that does not in another game and we're not going to be any more satisfied than the, than we were before this new rules put in. Well, this one's wound up in court, you know. Oh, I know. How about the fact that Goodell is going to have to be deposed and testify in this case? How funny is that? Yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> this this is not going to see the light of day. But but uh, I, I do have a cousin who lives in New Orleans, and I was I went to the family reunion uh, last month and was amazed at his outrage about it, and and says that the whole city is like in a they're still pissed. That yeah, all still. Oh yeah. And uh, and there there it's hard to get Goodell on the stand too. That's something that they don't want that they don't want him speaking in public. Period. No. But especially no. not in front of a, a judge or lawyers. Uh, can I do it from under my desk? I would really like to do it from. <laughs> just oppose me right here. This guy. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, for, 
for a call on the field, you can't have that precedent. You can't have, well, we had this before, therefore we'll have this hearing on this call well, that was made in this game. Isn't, yeah. isn't this sort of setting a legal precedent, though? That That's you, what I'm saying, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, I, I, you know, again, we're not lawyers. We play one on the radio. But something yeah. tells me this is bad for the league in that yeah. there'll be another team in another jurisdiction. You're saying this won't see the light of day, but it's already yeah. progressed to the point where, last I heard, Goodell was going to have to be deposed. Yeah, but, the, you know, the, the fans, the fan, you see what the fans are looking for. But if they settle and they give them the $75,000 they're looking for, does that satisfy the fan base, which was going to donate the money to charity anyway? I mean, they want this, they want this in court. Hold on so a second. We'll what's, what's the 75 grand? That's what they're, that's what they're suing for. Where, where, where does that number come from? Uh, I guess that's what they arbitrarily came up with. That's what they felt like they they were wronged as fans at seventy five thousand dollars. That okay. Now I got to research that. That doesn't seem to add up to me. That seems like an, a random number. Maybe that's the most they can sue for. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, but that's the number I read. Uh, anyway, back to the yeah. Hall of Fame game and the Hall of Fame weekend. I am mm-hmm. acutely aware now more than ever, Andy about being a part of the football industrial complex. And I sort of hate my part in it because on the one hand, I love football just like you and most sports fans. I don't like carrying the league's water and incessantly hyping shit up. And so watching this stuff and reveling in the, ooh, here's what Ed Reed said on Saturday night, I feel like I'm part of the industrial complex that hypes this league to the moon. I feel dirty yeah, about it, it. Well, that again, that goes back to what, what I said. You know, 23 years ago, it was a small ceremony on the steps of the Hall of Fame on Saturday morning, a game Saturday afternoon, and everybody went home. Now they realize how much money can be made, right. how much hype they can, you know, create over this. And, and it's a ridiculous process in that they are putting people in, like Kevin Mawai in the Hall of Fame basically as a first ballot guy. And Joe Jacoby, with three Super Bowl rings and four Pro Bowls, not only isn't in, but they made him go through this dog and pony show two years where he goes to the Hall of Fame and has to wait in his hotel room for a knock that never comes. Right. And then he's he, he's not on the on the ballot anymore. And it's up to the seniors committee. I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. He's he he's you know that's like pornography. You know when you see it, you look at Jake. He's a Hall of Famer. And the way these guys get in now, and some of it has to do with whether they're on the NFL Network or not, or how photogenic they are. It's just ridiculous. Oh. It's just a, a stupid process. Well, totally because Kevin Mawai is handsome. He's well spoken, and he's recent. Jacoby, yeah. while a great human being, is none of the above. He's yeah. not that handsome, and he is not that well spoken, uh, and he is he's ancient, and so they can't relate. Yeah. I hope he gets in when this twenty twenty class comes through. But part of me thinks, well, those that get in are going to feel like, well, I got in, but I got in when the twenty twenty class came through. Like, is that does that diminish getting in, or do these guys just care that they're in? No, no. I, I think I think that that almost is the same ridiculous argument where people say, "Well, you know, two of the Redskins' three Super Bowls were in strike years." Doesn't yeah. matter. You're you know, you're yeah. either a Hall of Famer or you're not. And he, to me, is a Hall of Famer. But I do like to say to Giant fans that two that both of Eli's Super Bowls they were wild cards. Didn't even <laughs> okay. win their division. Now, granted, they still had a parade. They still got the Lombardi. Yeah. Oh, 
And by the way, they beat a team that was undefeated, eighteen and zero. That is true. <laughs> uh, on on two of the luckiest plays ever. Doesn't matter. I know they won. I know. Okay, uh, the real Champ Bailey story. Champ <sighs> Bailey goes in, and they don't really put him in as a member of a certain team, do they? In the NFL. Uh, I, I don't know how it's noted on the plaque. I think it may be, you know, it, like they don't put them in a uniform because all you have is, is their bust. There's like, not like baseball right. where they put a hat, hat on them. So, yeah. Yeah. So in, in, in Cooperstown, I've never been there either, which is a, it's a disgrace. I'm 51. I'm a sports fan. I'm in the media. Never been to Canton. Never been to Cooperstown. Oh, well, Cooperstown is a two-day deal. You you got to put aside two days to see it. Can't even see it in one day, but they're they're both worthwhile. Okay, so in in Cooperstown, they put the guys in with a hat on, all of them, right? Uh-huh. And they put right. a logo on the hat. Well, now, now they have an option. Like you can have it with like no logo. I think Mike Messina did that rather than put either Orioles or Yankees. But most cases, you have a choice. And then, of course, you had the Wade Boggs controversy some years ago where he made a deal to play one year with Tampa Bay and go into the Hall of Fame as a Tampa Bay Ray, and baseball said, whoa, 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 we're not doing right. that. These, right. these things aren't for sale. Uh, so, I'm looking yeah. at a couple of uh, plaques now. Uh, Tony Gwynn uh, as a Padre, obviously. That's the only team he played for. Gehrig as a Yankee. And, okay, so they do put caps on them. Okay. So Champ Bailey is most well-remembered as a Bronco, and we knew him here in Washington before he got traded for Clinton Portis and a second-round pick. Or Isn't wait a minute. That insane? We, we gave up Champ and a second for Portis, right? We did. Correct. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell yeah. people why, according to uh, local urban lore, urban legend, Champ Bailey had to be traded. As I understand it, uh, there was a, a demand from his wife that he not re-sign with the Redskins because of, and I don't know all the details, but, but some dalliance in the Washington area with another woman. And the story goes, as, as I've heard it, that she told him, if you re-sign with the Redskins, <laughs> I will divorce you. And, and I will clean you out. And, and so, therefore, yeah. much like the, the Eddie Murphy routine, your contract will be half, 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 jump, <laughs> half. Yeah. And it was, so, it was, I guess, a serious enough threat that the Redskins said, okay, we better go ahead and move them. Now, th- there's an yeah. argument to be made that the Redskins got decent value, an argument, although whenever you trade a Hall of Famer, it's not good. But the argument is Clinton Portis was highly productive for five-plus years here in Washington. Yeah, but you, you gave up a draft pick, and and you also traded for a guy who Mike Shanahan was not going to re-sign. I mean, as, as productive as he was his first two years in Denver, and he was he was tracking for a Hall of Fame career. He had two great years with the Broncos. But, but remember Shanahan's, Shanahan's scheme up there in Denver was producing 1,500-yard yeah. rushers left and right, not just Portis. Right. But but yeah, a so whole he, long he line of resign him. him, right? So 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 they sent so they sent Vinny to do the shopping, which is which is never a smart move, and and Vinny can't wait to unload draft picks, so he throws in a second rounder uh, with a Hall of Fame quarter <laughs> to get a running back, and running backs even then are available, and and really. You know, Joe Gibbs liked to have a really good running back, but Portis was not the best 
style of runner for his scheme. No. He, he always did well with big backs. And, uh, you know, Portis, it, it, it was a, Portis's first two years in Denver, 1,500 and 1,500 yards in not even 16 games. He only right. played, he only started 12 and 13 games in years one and two and still had 1,500-plus yards each year with, holy shit, Andy, 15 and 14 touchdowns in those years, numbers one and two. Right. And a 5.5 yards per average, yards per carry average. That is incredible. Now, when he came to Joe Gibbs, Joe was like, okay, you play Rigo. Here's 40 gut, and they ran him up the middle 343 times his first year in Washington. He did have 1,300 yards, but his yards per carry plummeted to just 3.8 yards from a 5.5 high. He played five years. He went 15 of 15, 16 of 16, 8 of 7, 16 of 16, 16 of 16. The eight-game, seven-start year was 06 in which he got hurt halfway through the season. But he is the second. No, no? what happened well, that yeah, year? Well, I mean, it, it finally did. I think it did end with a broken hand. But remember, that was the uh, the game, the season that he hurt his shoulder. I think in, in pre-season. the first preseason, right. and then bitched about having to play in that game. <laughs> right. Remember that? I know. And, and then then he came back, and and then another thing about that season was uh, at least you know at least Joe Gibbs still had a little bit of of coaching stones then because Portis goes, yeah, I'm going to be sitting out the next game, and Gibbs said, no, no, you're not, you're playing. <laughs> right, exactly. Now Portis is number two all time on the Redskins' yardage rushing list. He almost surpassed Rigo. Yeah, but he he did it uh, in an era where the offense was more open than it was when Larry Brown was doing it. He also did it with 16-game seasons. Larry Brown had 14. Uh, he, was, he was a very good back, but, again, not worth what they traded to get him. So how do we, how do we rate, then, the trade from the Redskins' standpoint? Do we get fleeced? Did we get hoodwinked? Did we get shortchanged? Did we get, as Clinton himself likes to say about his personal finances, bamboozled? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the, the, if, if he was going to leave by free agency, what would they have gotten? A compensatory pick? Something like a, a third rounder? Yeah. Something like that? Uh, so so, so know, we, got, we got the yeah. short end of the deal. And that's, yeah. that's all you can say. We didn't get hosed. So when people yeah. that are not intimately aware of Redskins history, there's the quick history of Portis for Champ Bailey, and maybe that sheds some more, I guess, depth on it. Let's talk about the Redskins, Andy. Trent Williams, holdout. Go. Um, okay. On the other station, about three weeks ago, Chris Russell trotted out this idea that Trent was miffed when they had drafted Deron Christian. And hearing that, I thought, oh, there goes Russell again, just shooting off nonsense. Well, then Jerry Brewer writes a column that that may have been a factor in his uh, anger there, or one of the things that led to this. So you're saying score one for Chris Russell. Yeah, well, uh, you know, again, (laughs) he may have – 
he may have the same source, and unlike the Washington Post, he doesn't have to vet a lot of things. He can just hear it yes. and spit it out. Right, right. Uh, it's a little different when you're when you're with a major newspaper. Uh, that that surprises me. If that's a factor, that's insane. The other the other part of it is okay. He's upset at the medical staff because the cyst on his head was not properly diagnosed. I'm sorry, uh, my nephew is an assistant athletic trainer with the Atlanta Falcons. Examining cysts. I don't think comes under his purview. That's something you do on your day off. You go see a specialist and you say, hey, what's this bump on my head? Should I be concerned about that? And now he apparently wants the whole medical staff fired because of that. Uh, I don't know how that washes. Now he's also looking, according to, to what Jerry had in his column, uh, for a contract extension. He's 31 years old. Playing hurt is double-edged. Yes, it's heroic. It's, it's good that he was able to get on the field for his team. On the other hand, he's a worn-out 31. Are you going to extend him past the two years that he's already signed up for when his body is clearly breaking down? I mean, you'd have to be insane to do that. So, so, so you know, I, it, I don't get it. Do you think the Redskins will do anything to appease him, as in maybe fire one person from the training staff? I don't know if that's that's going to do it. I, I I just think I just think he's looking at you know athletes look at other athletes, and we've just come off a summer where we saw Kawhi Leonard go to the Clippers and say yes, uh, I'd like to get another star. I don't care if he's under contract with another team, just go get him, and they did it. So I think there's there's thinking by athletes in the NFL. Well. Geez, they can do this in the NBA. Why can't I do it? Why can't I engineer a deal to where I want to go? And why I think don't, he, he's why don't more NFL players sorry to interrupt, why don't more NFL players just not play hurt as much as they do? You know, uh that's that's a good question. I I think there's a code and I think he's he's been celebrated for that. On the other hand, you know, he did get a big contract extension from them before they had to do it. He's also let them down twice with drug suspensions. And I think, you know, he, he does not have a beef of being mistreated by the organization. I mean, I don't know all the ins and outs of what went on with his what if they on his head. What if they looked at it and they're like, ah, it's no big deal. And then when he went to go get it taken care of, a doctor was like, holy shit, why don't you come to me sooner? This could be cancer. Well, I mean, it, it, it could have been. But, is that but on I, I him don't... or is that on the training staff? Uh, you know, again, I, I don't know all the details of it. All you know, there's, everything is very sketchy at this point. But it would seem to me, if I had a cyst on my head and they have Tuesdays off, I would make an appointment with a specialist and to have it looked at. Fair enough, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. But again, if you're, tra- I'm just looking at like Trent's lawyer here in this mythical argument. Why wouldn't yeah. the team, to their most valuable offensive player, which he is right now? Oh, by the way, he's a phenomenal left tackle. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. Mountain of a man. Wouldn't you make him go see a specialist, say, Trent, we don't think it's a big deal, but we can't tape a cyst like it's an ankle. So we're going to send you to a specialist, and we want we insist that you go. Yeah, well, I would think that that would be the way to do it. Are we sure that that didn't happen? Well, if that happened... And then Trent is still mad at the medical staff, even though they insisted that he go see an outside specialist. Then fuck Trent, fuck him yeah, as a as a as a fucking liar who's just covering up his desire for more money with a made up story about a cyst. Yeah, 
Do we know anything? I mean, that all, all we have is, is what's reported. We haven't heard a word from Trent, which is really surprising because, what, uh, the OTAs were in May, so we're mm-hmm. now in August. And and the radio silence on this. Not only that, he's even got his boys not tipping their hand. The the the, the, the biggest tips have come from Gruden, who's who's said something to the effect this is business. He's also indicated something unhappiness with the medical staff. And a good old Bruce Allen says, "Oh, I know the truth." Yeah, I know the <laughs> truth. Will will the Redskins prevail? And will Trent come crawling back? At some point. Uh, having witnessed many holdouts over the years, a lot changes when the regular season starts. So we're still a month out, and I think it's it's entirely possible he'll be in the lineup for the, the opening game. And not playing any of the exhibition games, I don't think that's a big deal for a guy who's a ten year veteran. Did but Le- I think yeah, I think it'll get worked out. Did Le'Veon Bell though change the dynamic? Uh, Le'Veon Bell, I think, is a, is a running back. It's a little different. He's also not 31 years old. Um, I, I, I think. I think it's now. Look, I, we've seen these things before. Sean Gilbert, uh, many years ago, uh, was also Darrell Revis's uncle, and uh, sort of showed Darrell the way to to cash in in the NFL. But he said God told him to hold out for five million dollars a year. Redskins didn't want to pay that. He missed the entire 97th season. They traded him at the end of the season to Carolina. What did he get from Carolina? $6 million a year. So yeah. I guess I guess it's it, possible, you know, Trent gets his body healed up, sits out a year, but he's another year older, and there's also a year of lost money. All right, Colt McCoy is atop the first unofficial depth chart at quarterback. Great. And at the end of the third quarter, after he's broken something, who's the next man up? <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I have the weirdest dichotomy on this guy. I love him as a person. I admire his stick and his professionalism. But I hate the fact he's still on the team. Does that, does that square that both things can coexist? I love him I, as I a suppose. man. I love him is for his professionalism, but God damn, I hate the fact he's still here. This is the most subpar idea ever. Colt McCoy as a starting quarterback. Why does Jay Gruden love Colt McCoy? Am I yelling right now? I'm not yelling right now, am I? <laughs> you know, this this kind of has a Randy Edsel feel to it because he's he said that this is where he wants to be. And everybody goes, oh, really? This is where you want to be? Uh, I think he had the good fortune to sit behind Kirk Cousins, who never got hurt. You know, Cousins has never missed a play sure. in his NFL career because of injury. So he didn't have to take the field. Now he's he's sitting behind Alex Smith. Smith breaks his leg. Oh, here's his chance. Okay, he's been waiting for it. Boom, he breaks his how, own leg. How would we say Haskins has looked so far? I have Man. no idea. I, I You know, I, I'm not – again, even if I was there – You wouldn't know. I don't have the tr- right. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you see these reporters with these tweets. Oh, what a wicked throw! What yeah. a sick throw! Uh, I'm sorry, was JJ Watt in his face as he threw it? No, it's right. it's, uh, it's a training camp. When when a defender comes free on the edge and could otherwise light up the QB, they're not allowed to touch him. So, in right. other words, the essence of playing the position is completely neutered. So you don't know how he's going to be. And all it takes is one time getting blown up from behind, which could well happen if Trent is not there week one. In fact, it will certainly happen if Trent is not there week one. And the rest of the game, he may be shit on a barbecue stick. 
<laughs> because he's a rookie, right, Andy? And yeah. his world got fucked up by a defensive end who came hot off the edge. That's he, the he's NFL. Played, he's played 13 games with one of the top five offensive lines in college football and played maybe four games where he was facing some NFL talent. Um, you know, it, it's a different ball game. Also, the you know, you look at the great quarterbacks and how they stayed in the league, and, and he's not mobile, so he's not going to be able to run away from pressure. Uh, that's their ability to get rid of the ball. Dan Marino, Peyton Manning, those guys make a decision, pff, get rid of it. Yeah. This guy is not experienced. And I, I think that, you know, I believe Joe Theismann is right, that the best thing that can happen is he sits for an entire year. But you know as well as I do, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, one more thing real quick. Darius Geis, who I'm excited to see play football this year. He's had a long road back from a blown ACL that happened in the first preseason game last summer. Boy, does he self-promote both on social media. He does, apparently does this deal with Channel 9 where he sits mm-hmm. down with Darren Haynes, and I'm, I'm watching him, and I'm going, I like you, Darius, but, man, you haven't gained a yard yet officially for us. Like, yeah. is this all good? And then he took a picture in his cul-de-sac driveway in suburbia with three hot rod cars in the driveway. <laughs> And I don't want to begrudge a young man who is enjoying the fruits of his well-earned labor, but it just screamed to me, Michael Westbrook 2.0. Yeah, uh, yeah, Westbrook was a really bad guy. Uh, I I don't sense that that Geis is, but yes. Forget the bad guy standpoint. Tell people what Westbrook said when people asked about, like, do you think I forget what they asked him, but he bragged about owning an eight hundred thousand dollar house, right? Well, no, he for, there are two 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 things. One is during the career, one is after. So while he was being criticized and his career got off to a rough start, uh, some of it self inflicted, like you know not showing up for a Saturday practice, and uh, then he had the, the, the training camp, you know, be beating up Stephen Davis uh, during training camp and and those kind of things. So he invited Dave Sell, who was a reporter for the Post, to come out to his house to see his riches and show him, look, I got a house with a home theater. I believe you do, too. Um, <laughs> and he, he said, here's my Lamborghini. I'm, how can I be a failure if I have all these things? I'm a success. And then years later, when he was doing MMA, we had him on the show. And I said to him, uh, I believe that you're the biggest disappointment in Redskins history. And he was taken aback by that. He was very upset. And he said, how can I be a, a disappointment if I live in a $700,000 house? Well, at the time, so was I. Because <laughs> <But>, uh, <laughs> real estate is expensive in the D.C. area. Yeah, yeah. He was living like in Arizona, and that's nice. He was living in a $700,000 house. But, again, that doesn't make you a success. Yeah. Uh, real quick, can I get your thoughts on the LeBron controversy from last week regarding the AAU game and his kid? You know what? Having having been at at men not AAU level, but but many many youth games involving my son, whether it was baseball or basketball or soccer, um, I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, he's LeBron James, and it's it's probably pretty cool for the other people. To see LeBron James there, should he have run on the court and lost his shoe? Well, that was pretty schmucky. But but I think supporting his son the way he did, I I didn't really have a problem with it. Okay, what if you call him douchey and look at me? Should you be attacked 
in the media or like there's two elements to it. One was, okay, did he act like a douchebag or not? The second one was, how dare you call him a douchebag? Some people thought that LeBron James is beyond criticism because, hey, he's at his kid's game, and that's important. Yeah, That I found yeah, to be I, a bit ridiculous. Like, a lot of us were, like, douchey and appropriate, but I'm not losing sleep over it. I'm not mad about yeah. it. And by the way, why can't we criticize LeBron James? Fuck him. Yeah, no, he's a public figure. Of course you can criticize him. And, and uh, yeah, it's nice that he showed up at his kid's game. Did he put the spotlight on himself a little bit too much? Maybe. But again, uh, it's his kid. It's it's their youth game. I, I you know, I, I want to see know, another I, dad. I, I want to see another dad with no hops and no game go out there and and brick layups in the line. Be like, what? LeBron did it. <laughs> yeah, you know, when I was when I was going to the games, I would make it a point not to try and coach and try to keep my mouth shut because people would say, oh, you run your mouth on the radio. You think you know everything about coaching. So I wouldn't, you know, I would go out of my way not to say anything. You know, LeBron James, you're maybe one of the top three who ever played the game. I don't know. To me, it wasn't a big deal. The, uh, The dirty truth of it is most kids are embarrassed by their dads. They're not LeBron James. So if you're a dad, you need to sit there quietly and pretend like, no, that's not my kid. And then quietly you'd say, all right, let's go out for an ice cream afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, he, he also, there, there are the, the fathers of, of that ilk who become the great Santini with their kid. You know, like oh, nothing's right. good enough. Yeah, come on. And, come on, you going to cry? Yeah. going to cry? Bouncing the ball off yeah, the back yeah. of his head. Yeah, yeah. Or, 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 you know, during a timeout, you stick your head in the huddle and say, a little bit too much hot-dogging after that dunk, Bronny, okay? I don't want to see any more of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I didn't. I don't know if you've seen this or if you're going to see it, but I did see the new Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did you like it? It was not as good as Django Unchained. Okay. It. Okay. I liked it for certain reasons. It's been getting very good reviews. It's like... 82% on Rotten Tomatoes, if you believe in that website and people crowdsourcing their opinion. Uh, like I said, it's done well in the box office. I had forgotten that Tarantino also did Hateful Eight, and I thought that sucked and was a waste of my time. So not everything Tarantino does is pure gold, but I was hopeful for this movie. The reason that I liked it, I mean, I liked it, although it wasn't great. It was movie stars in a world in which the notion of a movie star is being cheapened. If I can see DiCaprio and Brad Pitt together on on screen with Pacino, oh, by the way, fucking mm. sign me up. Those are some yeah. of the last legit bona fide movie stars in America. Yeah, I, I'm also old enough to remember that era. I mean, I remember the news coverage when Sharon Tate was murdered. Mm. And, and, and I, I remember that time period and the movies that came out of it. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm a, basically a fan of his work. I, I, I saw a review in the paper over the weekend of, of the uh, Tarantino movies, Worst to Best, and they rated Reservoir Dogs the worst. I thought that was good. It was very violent, but I thought it was a good movie. So I, I did not care for that movie. You know why? It's so <laughs> sadistic. Like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, is that awful? <laughs> it's, a, it's torture porn is what it is. I don't mind some violence, and Tarantino loves to go over the top of the violence when you least expect it, but that was a bit much. Uh, Real quick, how's the new station, Uh, ESPN 630? You've started officially. Bram Weinstein is on in the afternoons. There's another announcement coming uh, Monday. Mm -hmm. Today I'll leave it for the rollout of that to happen without 
spoiling it here, but how's it going? Well, it's, it's, it's a nice place to work. And, you know, you're, you're of this age, too, that when we were growing up, 630 was, was the, the shit, sports man. station in town. The, 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 not the sports station. They were the news station in town. But, but they did the sports because they, they were actually talking. You know what it was? It was called Middle of the Road. You had Harder and Weaver. They did a morning show. Yeah, it was kind of corny, but it was two old guys who have been together forever. And then Trumbull and Core in the afternoon. But at 7 o'clock at night, Ken Beatrice did sports talk. God love you. God love you. Mm-hmm. And, and and Johnny Holiday did the sports in the morning on Harden and Weaver, and he also did the Maryland games. You know, Johnny's been doing Maryland sports for four, over 40 years. And uh, and then they had the Redskin games, too. So we still have the Redskin games, and we have the ESPN play-by-play, and we're carrying some of the uh, ESPN programming. And I, I think I can say this without any fear of retribution, that the show in the morning has improved with – uh, Wingo taking the place of Mike Greenberg. See, that's so interesting. And- we could we could do a long run on that. I so I've always I've always liked Wingo. The more I hear Wingo, though, the less I like Trey Wingo. Well, I, I, I don't know I, why he, that he, is. I don't know why that he, is. I just something about him. I, and it, certainly, I'm not pining for the return of Mike Greenberg to the show. So I don't know yeah. what I'm looking for there. Uh, okay. So that's more importantly, uh, how is, how is the studios? Are they clean? Do they work? Do the headphone jacks jiggle? Yeah, no, everything's good. And there's, there's room there because of the, the state of radio that the mix one Oh seven is no longer that's been sold. So, uh, where Jack diamond and his crew used to do all their stuff, there's, there's office okay. space and studio space. So how's yeah, the kitchen area? Plant. Is there, is there a good, is there a good vending machine? Uh, yeah, they have that and they have a, a adequate refrigerator. The microwave has, uh, the, the knob to open the door is a little tricky. You have to, have to fiddle with that a okay. little bit. But... Is there free parking? Uh, no, that sucks. No free yeah. parking sucks. That's that was one of the benefits of the old place. Last ad, oh, yeah. last ad. This was a gut punch of a news item. Don Banks, longtime NFL writer, found dead in his hotel room at age fifty-six after covering the Hall of Fame game in Canton. He had just signed uh, a new deal with a new with a, the Las Vegas Review Journal. So he'd been writing for yeah. NFL.com and the Boston Globe. I'd wor- had written for SI.com. Had been on our show many a times. One of the good, sensible, intelligent guys who didn't run shtick and didn't put himself ahead of the story. Dead at fifty-six, I presume from natural causes, heart attack, something like that. Well, again, uh, the, he covered the Hall of Fame ceremonies last night, and they went in his hotel room in Canton today and found him unresponsive. I guess you know somebody maybe tried to get a hold of him and was concerned, so they 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 went in and found that he was dead now you know here's a guy who was in good physical shape it appeared yeah. uh 56 years old young uh you know he never heard of any you know health issues if he had them they they kept it quiet and yeah i mean you, you just don't know it's it's a, you know i lost another friend uh last few weeks of excellent play-by-play man john todges 63 right. same thing uh passed away apparently of a heart attack and it's uh 
Yeah, I mean, uh, we, you know, we joke about, you know, my desire to live to be 100, but, you know, uh, you just don't know what, what, what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah, life is short and precious, and uh, thoughts to Don Banks' family, and uh, was one of the real good guys, and quite a, quite a blow to hear about that, so yeah, uh, tough yeah. one there. All right, Andy, we will talk to you next week, brother, and uh, officially my stance is I hope that you guys fail and you're all fired. That's my official <laughs> stance. I have to have that stance. Don't take it personally. You're another no. sports station that's opened up in the market. So that's my official stance, okay? Well, you know, look, it, it is what it is. If it works, great. If, if it doesn't, well, you know, maybe we'll all get together in Jerusalem again, all like right. happened before. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. All right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God I... I don't think CJ, my boss, my program director at 980 is going to call me aside and go, yeah, we can't have you have Andy on. Uh, They're the competition. Uh, We don't want people uh, tuning in. Well, maybe he will. Maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Do you, the listener out there, are you that in the dark that you're like, what? Andy's on another station now? Oh, shit, I'm I'm going to listen. Is it really that way? Am I really sending any more listeners over there? I guess it's better. It, it's a, it's a helping him a little bit, right? All right. Well, we won't talk about it anymore. Last ad. Um, what a gut punch. What a terrible weekend. Not even gut punch. Just a, a weekend that was hard to process if you uh, – just if you have any sense of sensibility in the world – uh, with the twin mass shootings in both El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio. It is something that clearly is a huge problem in America, and it's something that has zero easy answers or solutions. And on top of that, it is rife with political angles and exploitation. And I just... I don't know. I have no great ideas. I have thoughts. I have tangents. Uh, I'm not here to argue the merits of this versus that or to point fingers. It just, though, seems to me, and I don't have the data to back this up, but it seems to me because guns and crowds and murder have been around for a long time, forever. But the combination of the three is accelerating in this current modern society. Why is that? My essential feeling is that these acts are acts of um, mass suicide, that the person ready to commit these atrocities has already decided that living is too painful and not worth it. And so instead of just killing himself, then they can bring a lot of people with them and maybe achieve some sort of glory and or fame in the process. And that seems to be on the increase. It seems like we have more broken souls who are committing atrocities for reasons that we have a hard time getting our heads around. And personally, I'm not a gun guy, but I understand the necessity of and the value and the merits of the Second Amendment. But I'm not a gun guy. And 
something tells me that maybe it's time to go ahead and start to hem in certain elements of the Second Amendment, which I know can be a slippery slope because you ban one thing, you ban one weapon, and one side will say, okay, that's great. We're going to call that a good start. And then they're going to want to keep going. So I have nothing great to offer or say other than the fact I just think nowadays with the internet and society and social media, we're too connected. Broken souls are too connected to people with broken ideas and hateful hearts and insane notions. And that breaking that connectivity between broken souls and horrible intentions is going to be challenging. And we'll never fully eliminate it, which is also another thing that's hard to get your head around. You have to ask yourself, what's the, what is the acceptable number of mass shootings per year in the United States of America? To which I'm sure you're saying, well, <gasps> acceptable number? The acceptable number is zero. Well, that's not going to happen. We'll never get there. We'll never get close to that. Even if every gun was banned Tomorrow, you're not going to get to zero. So what's an acceptable number? And you may say, well, what kind of question is that? We should continue to strive until we do get to zero. So that we'll never accept, even if it's two a year, instead of 100 or 200 or 300 or whatever the number is. Broken souls with evil intentions that want to kill people because they too feel like there's nothing to live for are going to find ways to kill people. And that's tough to get your head around. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try. It's just a tough thing to get your head around. Okay, and that'll do it for us today. Sorry for I I apologize in advance for even delving into that. I know that people are going to get mad at me. I I don't want to hear your bullshit about this stuff. I felt I had to say something. Had to, had to at least address it, so there it is. Thank you for listening. Once, as always, download the podcast app. Download the Zabecast app. It's available for free at your uh, podcast at your Apple Store, iTunes, and or Google Play. Uh, subscribe so you get the full boat, including Friday's subscriber edition of this program. And, of course, tell a couple friends. Leave a comment and rate the podcast wherever you rate those, including on iTunes. It really helps boost up the algorithm for more people to find out about this particular podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. Glenn Fittick's Richest 25 campaign aims to challenge the historically unitary and largely misinterpreted vision of wealth and what it means to live a life of riches that is commonly displayed in culture. Richest 25 breaks from the single malt scotch whiskey norm and helps redefine what it means to be rich. The launch of the Glenn Fittick Richest 25 is a curation of 25 individuals that challenge traditional notions of wealth and express an alternate idea of what it means to live a life of riches. For me, it's about fulfilling work and flexibility in my time and nobody breathing down my neck except for you. You, Jen. And when there's too much breathing, I reach for my Glenfiddich 23. I want it to be old enough to have its own scotch if it wants to. 
Skillfully crafted, enjoy responsibly. Glenfiddich 2021, imported by William Grant & Sons, Inc., New York, New York.